This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of valvular disease from the cardiovascular section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 75-year-old man, accompanied by his wife, presents to his primary care physician for episodes of chest pain and shortness of breath. He reports that his symptoms occur with exertion and improve with rest. His wife said that a few days ago, he passed out for approximately 15 seconds and regained consciousness when laying on the ground. On physical exam, there's a systolic crescendo-decrescendo heart murmur best heard at the base and radiates to the carotids. So the patient in the clinical snapshot has aortic stenosis. Now let's get into the episode. We'll talk about the different valvular diseases based on type, etiology, murmur, and important facts. So starting with aortic stenosis, in terms of etiology, this can be from age-related calcification in the elderly, as well as a bicuspid aortic valve in the young, which leads to early calcification of the valve. In terms of the murmur heard in aortic stenosis, you will hear a systolic murmur, specifically a crescendo-decrescendo murmur that radiates to the carotids and is heard best at the base. In terms of symptoms, aortic stenosis may present with syncope, angina, and or dyspnea on exertion. Patients may develop arrhythmias, and you may find what's known as pulsus parvus et tardis. Moving on to mitral regurgitation, etiology can be secondary to rheumatic fever, endocarditis, and postmyocardial infarction, specifically from rupture of the chordae or papillary muscles. It can also be secondary to left ventricular dilatation. In terms of murmur in the setting of mitral regurgitation, you will hear a holosystolic murmur, that is high-pitched and radiates towards the axilla and is best heard at the apex. In terms of maneuvers that increase murmur intensity, hand grip and rapid squatting will increase murmur intensity. Now let's talk about tricuspid regurgitation, and the etiology is secondary to right ventricular dilatation, rheumatic fever, and or endocarditis. In terms of murmur, tricuspid regurgitation will have a holosystolic murmur heard best in the tricuspid area. And remember that tricuspid regurgitation can be seen in patients with a history of intravenous drug use. Now, let's talk about mitral valve prolapse. And in terms of etiology, it can be secondary to myxomatous degeneration or rheumatic fever. With respect to myxomatous degeneration, this may be due to Marfan or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, or it can be idiopathic overproduction of dermatan sulfate. In terms of murmur, mitral valve prolapse will manifest with a systolic murmur and this will specifically be a late systolic crescendo murmur with a mid-systolic click and is heard best over the apex. In terms of symptoms of mitral valve prolapse, they are nonspecific and include palpitations, dizziness, dyspnea, and anxiety. Moving on to aortic regurgitation, in terms of etiology, this can be secondary to aortic root dilatation, bicuspid aortic valve, endocarditis, and rheumatic fever. In terms of murmur, Aortic regurgitation will manifest with a diastolic murmur, specifically an early diastolic decrescendo murmur, or what's known as an Austin Flint murmur, which is an apical diastolic rumbling. Maneuvers that can increase this murmur intensity are hand grip and rapid squatting. When aortic regurgitation is severe and chronic, patients can develop a wide pulse pressure, hyperdynamic pulse, and head bobbing. Finally, let's talk about mitral stenosis and the etiology is usually secondary to rheumatic fever. In terms of murmur, mitral stenosis will manifest with a diastolic murmur, 
specifically an open snap and delayed rumbling mid to late diastolic murmur. And remember the time between A2 and opening snap is inversely correlated with severity. Finally, remember that in the setting of mitral stenosis, the left atrium can be dilated and may compress the esophagus and left recurrent laryngeal nerve. Left atrium dilation may also result in atrial fibrillation. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 42-year-old man presents to his primary care physician for an annual physical exam. His past medical history is significant for alcohol use disorder complicated by periods of homelessness. Otherwise, he has been well with no major complaints during this visit. On physical exam, a new cardiac murmur is heard between the S1 and S2 heart sounds. The murmur does not appear to vary much in intensity, and it is best heard along the left sternal border in the sixth intercostal space. Physical exam also reveals 1 plus edema of the lower extremities bilaterally, as well as increased jugular venous pressure. Which of the following is most likely associated with the cause of this patient's murmur? And the choices are 1. Abnormal number of valve leaflets. 2. Aortic root dilatation. 3. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. 4. Intravenous drug use. And 5. Rupture of papillary muscles. The correct answer to this question is 4. Intravenous drug use. So this patient who presents with increased jugular venous pressure, lower extremity edema, and a holosystolic murmur in the tricuspid area most likely has tricuspid regurgitation. This valvular defect is associated with intravenous drug use. To quickly review, tricuspid regurgitation is caused by incompetent or abnormal closure of the tricuspid valve during systole. This defect will result in retrograde blood flow in the right side of the heart and accumulation of fluid in the periphery that can manifest as edema or increased jugular venous pressure. The murmur of tricuspid regurgitation is best heard in the left parasternal sixth intercostal space and is holosystolic in nature. Since the tricuspid valve is the first valve encountered by blood from the peripheral veins, tricuspid regurgitation is often seen in patients who use intravenous drugs due to recurrent colonization and infection of the tricuspid valve, leading to endocarditis. Endocarditis can present with fever, murmur, splinter hemorrhages, Roth spots in the eye, and red or painful lesions on the palms, known as Janeway lesions. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, abnormal number of valve leaflets is associated with increased development of aortic stenosis because a bicuspid aortic valve can undergo calcifications more easily. Aortic stenosis would present with a crescendo-decrescendo mid-systolic murmur, best heard in the right parasternal second intercostal space. Answer 2. Aortic root dilatation is associated with aortic regurgitation because the increased area leads to incompetence of the aortic valve during diastole. The murmur associated with aortic regurgitation is an early diastolic decrescendo murmur, best heard in the right parasternal second intercostal space. Answer 3, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, is associated with mitral valve prolapse because the abnormal collagen structure found in these patients leads to myxomatous degeneration of the mitral valve. The murmur associated with mitral valve prolapse is a late systolic crescendo murmur with a mid-systolic click best heard in the left sixth intercostal space at the mid-clavicular line. And finally, answer 5, rupture of papillary muscles is associated with mitral regurgitation because the valve loses the support of the chordae tendineae in closing during systole. 
The murmur associated with mitral regurgitation is a high-pitched holosystolic murmur best heard in the left sixth intercostal space and the midclavicular line with radiation towards the axilla. To leave you with a bullet summary, tricuspid regurgitation is commonly associated with intravenous drug use due to recurrent colonization and infection of the tricuspid valve by injected bacteria. Moving on to the next question. A 43-year-old man presents to his primary care physician concerned about an episode of syncope that occurred one week prior while on his daily jog. The patient states that he was halfway through running his usual route when he started feeling a little dizzy and suddenly woke up on the ground. According to witnesses, he lost consciousness for about 10 seconds. Upon further questioning, he has noticed that lately he cannot run as far as he usually does without having to take a break. Family history is significant for multiple heart attacks in several relatives on his father's side and diabetes on his mother's side. The patient is otherwise healthy and does not take any medications other than his multivitamins. His current temperature is 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 128 over 78 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 65 per minute and respirations are 12 per minute. His physical exam is notable for a grade 4 out of 6 crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur that radiates to the carotids. The patient is then scheduled for an echocardiogram. What is the most likely etiology of his symptoms? And the choices are 1. Atherosclerotic valve. 2. Autoimmune valve destruction. 3. Bicuspid valve. 4. Dynamic outflow tract obstruction. And 5. Incompetent valve. The correct answer to this question is three, bicuspid valve. So this patient's syncopal episode and characteristic murmur are most concerning for symptomatic aortic stenosis, which in a younger patient is likely due to a bicuspid valve. Aortic stenosis is the most common cause of left ventricular outflow obstruction. The narrowed valve increases left ventricular systolic pressures and causes left ventricular hypertrophy, which in severe cases will lead to heart failure. This disease can be clinically silent for years, with symptomatic progression presenting as decreased exercise intolerance, exertional angina, and syncope. The classic murmur associated with aortic stenosis is a crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur, heard best at the base that radiates to the carotids. Valve replacement is the treatment of choice for symptomatic patients. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, an atherosclerotic valve refers to the age-related plaque formation and calcification of a tri-leaflet aortic valve. This is the most common cause of aortic stenosis in older patients in their 60s to 70s. Answer 2, autoimmune valve destruction describes the long-term valvular damage caused by rheumatic fever. Post-inflammatory scarring can lead to fusion of the commissures between the leaflets, narrowing the valve. This etiology is more commonly seen in patients from developing countries. Answer 4, dynamic outflow tract obstruction, refers to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in which the abnormal motion of the anterior mitral valve leaflet against the hypertrophied septum causes obstruction during systole. It is a common cause of sudden cardiac death in young patients. Like aortic stenosis, it may present as a crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur. However, the murmur will increase with Valsava maneuver and does not radiate to the carotids. And finally, answer 5, valvular incompetence describes aortic regurgitation, which would present as a diastolic murmur that increases with valsalva and a hyperdynamic pulse. To leave you with the bullet summary, aortic stenosis in a younger patient is typically due to a bicuspid valve. Moving on to the next question. 
A 25-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician with three weeks of palpitations and shortness of breath while exercising. She says that these symptoms have been limiting her ability to play recreational sports with her friends. Her past medical history is significant for pharyngitis treated with antibiotics, and her family history reveals a grandfather who needed aortic valve replacements early due to an anatomic abnormality. She admits to illicit drug use in college, but says that she stopped using drugs four years ago. Physical exam reveals a clicking sound best heard in the left sixth intercostal space. This sound occurs between S1 and S2 and is followed by a flow murmur. Which of the following is most likely associated with the cause of this patient's disorder? And the choices are 1. Bicuspid aortic valve. 2. Increased valvular dermatan sulfate. 3. Infection with streptococcus pyogenes. 4. Intravenous drug abuse and 5. Mutation in cardiac contractile proteins. The correct answer to this question is 2. Increased valvular dermatan sulfate. So this patient with palpitations, exertional dyspnea, a mid-systolic click, and a late systolic murmur most likely has mitral valve prolapse, which is associated with increased valvular dermatan sulfate. To quickly review, mitral valve prolapse is caused by redundant mitral valve tissue which results in bulging of one or both leaflets into the left atrium during systole. This excess tissue may be the result of increased dermatan sulfate production or myxomatous degeneration. This disease is usually seen in young women as an isolated abnormality, but it can also be associated with Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Cardiac auscultation in this disorder will demonstrate a mid-systolic click due to sudden tensing of the chordae tendinae. A late systolic murmur may also follow the click if regurgitation is present. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, bicuspid aortic valve is associated with aortic stenosis. However, this disease would present with mid-systolic murmur best heard in the right second intercostal space. Answer 3, infection with streptococcus pyogenes is associated with mitral valve stenosis and regurgitation. However, this patient has no other signs of rheumatic fever and was treated with antibiotics. Answer 4. Intravenous drug abuse is associated with tricuspid valve defects. However, this would not present with a mid-systolic click. And finally, answer 5. Mutation in cardiac contractile proteins is associated with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. However, this disease would not present with a mid-systolic click. To leave you with a bullet summary, mitral valve prolapse may be the result of increased valvular dermatan sulfate production. And moving on to the final question. A 58-year-old woman with a history of rheumatic fever has been experiencing exertional fatigue and dyspnea. She has begun using several pillows at night to sleep and occasionally wakes up at night gasping for air. On exam, she appears dyspneic and thin. Cardiac exam reveals a loud S1 opening snap and apical diastolic rumble. Which of the following is the strongest predictor of the severity of her cardiac problem? And the choices are 1. Greater intensity of the diastolic rumble. 2. Short time between A2 and the opening snap. 3. Presence of a soft P2. 4. Shorter duration of the diastolic rumble. And 5. Presence of rails. The correct answer to this question is 2. Short time between A2 and the opening snap. So this patient has mitral stenosis. The time between A2 and the opening snap is inversely correlated with the severity of mitral stenosis. 
With increasingly severe mitral stenosis, the duration of the diastolic murmur increases and the opening snap occurs earlier during diastole as a result of higher left atrial pressure. If flow across the mitral valve is reduced because of heart failure or other causes like pulmonary hypertension or aortic stenosis, the intensity of the murmur of mitral stenosis may be reduced or may be inaudible. Shipton and Waba review valvular heart disease. The most common cause of mitral stenosis is rheumatic heart disease. As the incidence of rheumatic fever has declined, so has the incidence of mitral stenosis. Other causes include infective endocarditis, malignant carcinoid syndrome, and rarely systemic lupus erythematosus. Mitral stenosis has a slow, progressive course, and there is generally a latent period of 20 to 40 years between the occurrence of rheumatic fever and the onset of symptoms. Stein et al. report on the American College of Chest Physicians, or ACCP, recommendations for thromboembolic prophylaxis in patients with valvular heart disease. Vitamin K antagonist therapy is recommended in patients with rheumatic mitral valve plus any of the following. Left atrial diameter greater than 55 millimeters, left atrial thrombus, atrial fibrillation, or previous systemic embolism. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, greater intensity of the diastolic rumble, and answer 4, shorter duration of the diastolic rumble are both incorrect, as with increasingly severe stenosis, the duration of the murmur increases, and in the development of heart failure, the intensity of the murmur may actually finally decrease or become inaudible. Answer 3, presence of a soft P2 is incorrect, as there is accentuation of P2 when pulmonary hypertension is present, which is a possible sequelae of long-standing mitral stenosis. And finally, answer 5, presence of rails is incorrect, as the presence of rails indicates pulmonary edema. It may indicate that a patient is experiencing left-sided heart failure, but is not specific to mitral stenosis, nor the severity of stenosis. That's all for this review about valvular disease. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.